may be seated. I just want to go over quickly with you kind of how this morning is envisioned to go and just for those who are structured people and might get a little uneasy about being relaxed and not so formatted, I do want to keep you from wanting to run out and you know cover your ears and be afraid. Um, first of all, I want all of us, we're going to pray in just a moment, and I want all of us to enter into a spirit of waiting on the Lord. Uh, we are so hurried. And we're so concerned in our day with getting to the next thing, whatever that is, even inside a church service. And there's a real blessing in waiting on God. And so we're going to have a, what the old timers long time ago might call a wait service. Um, the Puritans had these types of services where they would have a short instruction from the Scripture and then would sit in silence and allow the spiritual leaders of the church, um, men, um, to rise and read Scripture as they feel led of God to do that. And they would allow the people of God to pray um, and to voice testimony of God and His greatness. And so um, that's not required, obviously, of everybody in the room, but those who feel pricked in these moments to share something from their heart about the work of the Lord in their life and the life of the congregation, we're going to open that up to you. Um, and it's okay, I'll say up front, if we sit for 15 minutes in silence also, that's not a bad thing. Um, I'm, I'm uh, learning more and more that that's a good position to be in in front of God is quiet. So, there's going to, after my short instruction from the Word, there's going to be uh, a, a time where we'll have open um, thanksgiving, praise, prayer, reading of the Scripture, encouragement. Um, and so, that time is coming, and don't be frightened by it, but be open to what the Lord might lead you uh, to do. And this time is a time of confession before the Lord. We have the Lord's Supper today. We'll conclude our service with the Lord's Supper. Um, and so this is also a time of preparation for you. And so you can pray quietly aloud and read scripture that refers to repentance or um, your brokenness before the Lord. This is, this is the time for that. We really want today to be a time of restoration for our hearts. It is no... Um, no small secret that our congregation has faced some trying days in the last few months. Um, you know, when individuals suffer, what you come to realize is the whole flock suffers. We really are a body. God has united us in spirit to one another in such a way that when one suffers, all suffer. And so, um, I'm... I am, uh, I am thankful that God has, for whatever reason, seen this as a season to prepare us uh, for being uh, more in tune with Him and His purposes, with His Son and the grace that His Son provides us, and then to be launched out into ministry. Because one thing we know about God is when He, and we'll see that in this scripture, is that when He does these things, He does it for purpose. He's not simply um, arbitrarily casting out things on us. And so he's building to a crescendo in a sense. And that crescendo may be of great 
brokenness among us. And that may be it. Or it may be brokenness among us to the point that we love our community and then God reaps a harvest. Or it may be that he sends families from this congregation to much greater suffering around the world for his cause and for his glory. There's a lot of purposes that may be in this, okay? But I want us to just pause today in this time of reflection and thank God for his um, considering us worthy to suffer in his name. So let's pray, then I want to instruct, and then we'll open the floor. Father, (coughs) we approach you um, as children. We are your children. The handiwork uh, in which you have chosen to write the story of your grace with our lives. And so, God, we know as those who have been selected for this purpose that we will suffer because that is... Uh, the way of Christ, His life, our Savior's life, Father, our older brother's life was consumed with suffering, both physical, emotional, and spiritual suffering. And so, God, far be it from us to view ourselves as um, above or beyond that in our own lives. Lord, may we come to you, our older brother, our Savior, and may we rest in you, and may we find the hope of your glory. May it be revealed to us, even today, in ways that we have not known it before, and may we be convicted and convinced of our faith that we might live lives that reflect your love and your grace. Father, may we always be of the mindset that you are for us and not against us. May we always in these times um, cling to you. Lord, we love you. We hope and pray that this time will be edifying for your children and it will be unifying for our body and it will be magnifying for your name and that missions might spring forth even from today People who would say, oh God, I want to go wherever it is that you're sending me. And I want to take my family, and it may seem foolish, but oh God, in your name I go out to take the gospel to the unknown parts of this world who have never heard, knowing that we will face persecution and suffering for your namesake. And that in the mingled joy and suffering that we experience, many will be saved. God, may we leave with that confidence today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Romans 5, we read earlier. I won't read it all again. I want to say quickly some words about this passage. This is a passage about suffering. Um, The first verse, as you notice, is a transition from chapter 4, which is a dissertation on salvation by faith alone. And he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, You see, our salvation is finished. If you're here today as a child of God, that is finished. It is complete. So anything you might experience in these days forward doesn't have a bearing on the fact that you are saved. That gives you the utmost confidence. No matter how dark the day may be, nor how bright He may be shining at this moment, 
Nothing, no circumstance in your life can shake the sure foundation of justification by faith. It's not about what I feel or what in this moment I'm experiencing. It is about what God has finished in His Son. So therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God means a declaration of war with the world and with sin and with Satan. You see, the Christian life is a transfer. When you are lost, you are at war with God, the Almighty of heaven and earth. And when you are saved, you now are enlisted into His family and at war with sin, the fallen world, and Satan. All of life is war. All of it is a war. And if you're lost, you're at war with God. If you're saved, you're at war with the principalities and the powers of this earth and of the, of the heavens. We have found peace with God through that justification which is brought to us through Christ. And that means we've declared war on sin, the world, and Satan. You don't have the option and I don't have the option of being at peace with everybody. You're either at war with God or at war with sin, Satan, and this fallen world. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In grace we stand. Not by our strength. Not by the chariots of this world. Not by uh, the confidence that we can have in our families or our wealth or our society or the world in general. Not by the goodness that we can find in the hearts of men. We don't stand on those things. We stand in grace. If it weren't for grace, we would be smitten by God. We'd be prostrated by God. We'd be crushed by God. So that grace allows us to stand. And then Paul moves and says, not only are we standing, but we are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. As we have this time of quiet reflection and prayer and scripture reading and testimony, one thing I want us to think about is, what is the joy of our life? What is it? Is it our family? If it is our family, which I'm afraid in the evangelical church today, we have become a cult of the family. It's all about the family. It's all about us and our children. And that's what Christianity is. I've got to be a good dad and mom, so I've got to believe in Jesus so my kids believe in Jesus. And everybody's happy then. And we're blessed. And we get the white picket fence and the house and the few acres and the dog. And everything in our Perfect little life is perfect. And that's what God promises in the gospel to us. No, that is a lie. He never promises that. He never promises your family will be safer because you believe in Christ. As a matter of fact, in the gospels, he teaches your family is now at war and has been declared war on and it may all be taken away, traded in at any moment. We are hope, our hope, our joy cannot come from our family. It cannot come from our wealth. It 
cannot come from our societal wealth or our personal wealth. Security is not in our ability to provide for our families or for our community. That isn't our security as believers. That's not our security. It can't be our church. Our security, our, our rejoicing is not our church. It must be Christ. That must be our full joy. Paul says, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we've obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's our one joy, is the hope of the glory of God. That's it. That's the Christian life in an essence. And and so we find this sentence. And then he says, imagine that. That would be enough. That would be weighty enough. And then Paul says, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we rejoice in our sufferings. It's enough. Isn't it enough, Paul, that we find our joy in the hope of God's glory? He says, no. That's the beginning point. Now we move from that to rejoice in our suffering. In other words, that's not even the grand end of the Christian life. That's not enough. God brings it practically down to the point to where we rejoice in suffering. In these last few months, many of my family members have said you, and some of you have said it, you prayed that your family would suffer. And that was almost like a threat to me. And not, 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 I'm sure in your hearts it didn't mean that. I hope not. But in some of my family's hearts, it was that statement. that how dare, You know, you prayed that your family would be tested and tried. And so, kind of, you got what you deserved, what you prayed for. And I'm going to tell you this, and I mean it as a father and as a believer and as a pastor. I would not bring my daughter back and trade in the suffering which has proven the hope of God's glory. I would not do it. And some of you have lost loved ones. And some of you may lose loved ones in the next few weeks and months. And the decision that you must come to and wrestle with with God is, would I trade in this suffering to have the experience of coasting and enjoying life, or would I rather suffer to know better His hope and His glory? I can't answer that question for you, but I can for me. I would not trade it. I would not. As bad as it hurts, and as tired and as wore out as I may be in my grief, knowing Him and His glory We count these things as a mere shadow which are laying up for us a treasure in heaven. And I've read that my whole life and today I understand it. And also know that suffering once doesn't mean you never suffer again. So I live life now ready to suffer, more ready to suffer. Not daring God bring it on That would be presumption, but saying, God, 
whatever you bring, I know is for my good and it is laying up a treasure for me in Christ that I couldn't have any other way. And so, Paul says, not only are we rejoicing in the hope of God's glory, but more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. How can you rejoice in your sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Patience is the word there. Stick-to-itiveness. Unshakableness, if there's a word such as that in the English language. It's endurance. It produces endurance. And endurance produces, and as I read it, I read it this way, approvedness. You can insert for character experience from the Greek. Dokumen is the word in the Greek, which means endurance produces the approval of God. So in our sufferings, as we suffer and endure them, God approves of that. And He says, well done, well done, well done, well done. Now, I would say again, would you rather have His approval Or would you rather have an ease in life? You've got to answer that question. I can't answer it for you. I know what Paul says the believer's answer is. The believer's answer is, as I suffer and find your approval, I continue. Because it's my hope. Your glory is my hope. It produces character. Endurance produces approval. And that approval produces hope. Notice he brackets the whole statement. The hope of glory and hope. One of the things that suffering, people say, why do we suffer? One of the things that suffers, and I said it last week and I say it again, it's not a matter of am I going to suffer, it's when am I going to suffer. Suffering is a foregone conclusion for believers. And if you don't believe that, we can sit down over a cup of coffee and go through the New Testament. There are scads of passages which say that suffering is a part of the fabric of a believer's life. And that suffering that we experience in this life produces in us endurance, which is approval from God, which brings the hope again of what? It's in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Suffering does this. It breaks our grip on this world and makes us cling to Christ and Him alone. Those who do not suffer cling to this world. As you suffer, you let this world go and hold on to Him. Hold on to Him. I'll give you an example of it. The woman who had had an issue of blood. You remember her? All of those years had the issue of blood. She clinged to this life. She was pleading to live in this life. And then someone said, Jesus is come near to us in this town. He's, in, he's, he's traveling through. She let go of the world for what? The opportunity to grab hold of only His garment, believing that He was enough and He was all she needed. And when she grabbed it, The Bible says that a a power issued from Christ 
And he knew it. And in the throng of people, he said, who has touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, that's a crazy man question. There's thousands of people crowding in on each side. And you ask who touches you? And you see, he said, it's a different touch. It's not the crowd thronging about me and touching me. It's, that, it's a touch in which, he says, of faith. And I want to tell you what that is. Of, oh, if I can just have Christ and nothing else. See, I think in those moments what happened in her life was, even if I don't have my health ever again, if I have Christ, it's enough. And when, he tu- when she touched, he healed and he knew he had healed her. And he said, who is it that grabs me in faith, believing in me and me alone? Who is it that touches me? I'll tell you about suffering that brings endurance, which brings approvedness, which brings the hope of Christ. Another example. The woman who continued to beg for the healing of her daughter, of her child. And in those in that begging and in the rejection, she continued to beg. And in that moment, Christ said, she loves me more than she loves her child. And he healed her child. But even if he hadn't healed her child, she had found something that day that she could never find anywhere else. In Christ, she found her hope. Lazarus was raised from the dead for God's glory so that his family would know that life is in Christ, not in this life. And their life was changed. Mary Magdalene was thrown at Christ's feet, found in adultery. And he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the only one in the circle who could cast the stone was Christ, and he didn't cast it. And in that moment, she looked up and he said, where are your accusers? And she found the suffering brought endurance, which brought approvedness, which then at that moment produced in her hope only in Christ. And that was it. It's all, it's all her hope was in Christ. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so it's not a matter of if, it's when. And when it comes, it will prove faith in your life. Let me say quickly as I end. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Jesus says that there are four types of seed sown, or four types of ground on which seed sown falls. Hard and unreceptive ground rocky ground which springs up quickly weedy ground which is choked and good ground which bears fruit and then when he explains it he says those seeds which fell on rocky ground are as those who in a quick decision accept by faith faith they believe but yet when the suffering of this world arises they have no root and they wither away in the heat. One thing suffering provides you that nothing else does is the opportunity to know if your faith is real or not. It brings experience which brings hope or it brings experience which shows your faith to be not true faith and you go another direction away from Christ rejecting God Suffering brings that into our life. And so, as a church, we 
come before God in these moments knowing that as we suffer spiritually, we are tested and we find our hope in, in Him, in His glory, in Christ. Endurance brings experienced character, approval from God. And approval from God brings hope in Christ. I want us to pray. This time will be a time where you can read the scripture, confess sin, deal with God in your own heart, give testimony of his work in your life or the life of the body. At the end, I'll close with a reading of scripture and an opening of the table, and then you'll be asked to come and take of the Lord's Supper. Let's enter into a time and spirit of prayer. And the floor, again, there will be no one leading this time except the Spirit of God leads you to read, give testimony, confess sin, or simply sit in silence. Let's enter into a time of prayer.